0: In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says that to every believer was given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In some places, Paul is going to call that a spiritual gift. In some places, he just says a spiritual. It's kind of a confusing concept that Paul is almost searching for words to describe, but it's where the Spirit of God places in each believer um, this special manifestation from heaven to execute a certain part of the mission of God with with Jesus' power. In John 14, 12, when Jesus said that greater works we would do than even he did, um, he's referring to these spiritual manifestations that were the same power that was at work in him, now uh, come in power through individual members of the body of Christ. Figuring out specifically what is that spiritual manifestation, what is that spiritual gift, is a major way that you figure out what God wants from you. It's, it's how He guides you. you. You realize that He's put something within you, this gift that He intends to use in ministry, and then you begin to shape your ministry, your life, and, and perhaps even your career around that spiritual gift. In the last sessions, we've talked about figuring out what the Spirit of God wants specifically from you, that you've got to take the broad mission that God has given to the whole church and you've got to figure out what particular part of it, what slice of it that the Spirit is calling you to follow him in and what he's empowering you in. There's a great scene in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the four, the four children uh, are, are visited by Father Christmas, who comes representing Aslan, who is the lion who uh, you know symbolizes Jesus in, in the book. Father Christmas comes and he gives them four gifts from Aslan. Um, the children are confused by the gifts because they're a little mysterious, and uh, Father Christmas doesn't really explain but he tells them that this is gonna be important for something that happens later. Well, later when they get in the battle with the White Witch, all the different children realize that each of the gifts has been given to them for a particular assignment in the battle. For example, Peter has been given a sword and he he realizes that's given to lead an assault on the white witch. Uh, Lucy has been given a healing ointment and she realizes that Aslan wants her to bind up the wounds of those uh, who have fallen in battle. What Lewis is trying to demonstrate is that sometimes the way that you figure out what Jesus wants from you in ministry is to look at what he has put inside of you. The way that we know what God wants from us is by looking at what he has put inside of us. That's a spiritual gift. I want you to hear 1 Corinthians 12, 7 like a promise. You have been given a spiritual manifestation. If you're a believer in Christ, that verse applies to you. You have been given one. Here is the question. Do you know what yours is? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? If not, how could you possibly know what the Spirit of God wants from you if you don't know what he's put inside you? And one of the first ways that we learn to, to experience the guidance of the Spirit is by, is by getting in touch with the spiritual gift. So the question is, how do you know what your spiritual gift is? Well, there's at least four places in the Bible where the Apostle Paul lists them out. Um, some lists are different from others. One thing appears on one list, but not, uh, but not another one. So See, especially just list them all out and kind of look at which one, you know, makes you feel special when you read it. Um, you know, a lot of people like these spiritual gift inventory tests, you can take them on the internet, where basically you take a Myers-Briggs style personality test and you answer a bunch of questions and it spits out the answer of what your spiritual gift is. I will admit that I'm a little predisposed against those because my wife and I took one of those spiritual gift inventory tests right after we had gotten engaged and her number one spiritual gift came back as celibacy. And so, I don't know, I've been a little jaded against them ever since, but uh, you can take one if you want. But I think there's a better way. There's a better way to figure it out. Uh, I've heard that the way to figure out your spiritual gift is to look at it as the confluence of three circles, like, like a Venn diagram. And the place where all three of these circles come together is the place of your spiritual gifting. Those circles are affinity, ability and affirmation. Affinity refers to things that you're just really passionate about. I mean, we all care about everything in the mission of God, but for individual believers, there's something that you feel particularly passionate about, a special burden that God has given you for um, a different people group, a certain part of the ministry, that you just feel the special kind of focus and burden uh, on you regarding that. Ability is something that you just find yourself naturally good at. Um, You know, a lot of times it will coincide with a, Uh, with a natural ability that you have. Uh, For example, um, one of my gifts is is exhortation. Uh, I have a natural gift for public speaking. I I don't get nervous in front of crowds. Well, God's used that natural gift in, in, in ministry to coincide with this gift he's given me of exhortation. The Apostle Paul seems to have had a natural ability in in analytical thinking. He got we know that because he got accepted to study under Gamaliel, which was like going to Harvard in those days. And God took that analytical thinking and used it in his church to help formulate doctrine and write things like the Book of Romans. So we had ability, that's another circle and, and you got a place where affinity, passion, and ability comes together. The third circle, affirmation, refers to what people in the church tell you uh, that God is using you to do in their lives. And This is a really important one because God gave us the local church to help us identify these gifts. They say something to you like, Wow, you know, really, when you teach this way or when you do this, God really uses that in my life to challenge me or or, or to grow me. You see, a spiritual gift is an unusual effectiveness in a responsibility given to all believers. For example, scripture talks about the gift of the evangelist. Well, all Christians have the responsibility to evangelize, but there are some Christians that God gives them a particular effectiveness in it. It doesn't mean that everyone else is not responsible for it, just that God really uses this person. Um, all Christians are supposed to be generous, but God gives to some this gift of generosity. It's a, they, they know specifically when to give and their generosity ends up meeting the needs at just the right time. Uh, God calls all Christians to have faith, but God gives to some a particular measure of knowing exactly when to believe him for certain things at just the right time. Um, So the spiritual gift becomes something that God uses in other people's lives. And then people tell you, it's like, wow, when you do that, I really feel like I'm being touched by Jesus himself. That's a spiritual manifestation. For example, I came to understand that God had given me the gift of exhortation because when I would teach small groups of people, um, people began to say, you know, when you teach, God really uses this to uh, to enrich and grow me spiritually. And that affirmation became a major source of me identifying this as a, as a gift in my life. Now, I have built my career, my spiritual gifts, not many of you. In fact, not most of you um, will, will do that. But identification of that spiritual gift is a major way that you learn how the spirit is guiding you because he takes this huge mission of God and he shows you what part you're supposed to focus on and how he specifically wants to use you in the world. Recently, I learned a fascinating thing, and that is that Pentecostals do the best job of mobilizing people for mission than any other christian group on the planet i'll tell you why i found that a little honestly surprising is because many of the great mission speakers in the world are are not pentecostal they're baptist or reformed or or conservative Um, but as i got into this what i realized is that baptist and, and conservative speakers do a great job of painting the, the huge need in the world. And, and by the way, that's something that needs to be heard. We need to understand that there are still over 6,000 unreached people groups in the world and that is not acceptable. We need to understand that every every week, 100,000 children die of preventable hunger-related diseases and that's not acceptable. What Pentecostals do is they take that huge need and they'll talk about it, but then they'll very quickly begin to turn the attention back to to you and what the Spirit of God has put inside of you. And they'll say the Spirit of God has come on you to do a specific part of this mission. Well, that becomes very empowering because the, the weightiness of the need, the whole mission becomes Uh, very crushing, it becomes overwhelming. What what in the world can I do in light of a world of so much need? But understanding that the Spirit of God has put something inside me specifically, that becomes empowering. In fact, if I could say it like this, um, for many of us that come out of a more conservative Baptist background, uh, we tend to be guilt-driven in how we talk about the mission. Look at how much there is to be done and you're not doing enough, you should do more. Whereas Pentecostals tend to be gift-driven. Um, Yes, there's a lot of things that need done in the world and God is the one responsible for all of them, but God has given you a gift and your responsibility is to pursue that. Being guilt-driven can crush you and paralyze you, but being gift-driven becomes empowering and liberating. Recently, David Platt became the the president of the International Mission Board. And David's been a pastor for many years and he's been a good friend of mine. And as he was praying about whether or not this was for him, he told me a story um, that I think really illustrates everything we've been talking about. David told me that earlier in the year he had gone on a mission trip to Nepal. And while he was there, he said that God really just tore his heart open for missions and for unreached people groups in the world. He'd always cared about it, he said, and it always been a part of his life and his church. But he said there was something different. It was like God was telling me to focus and narrow my ministry on, on just the unreached people groups. It was on my way home from that trip, he said, that I got the email that told me that the current president of the International Mission Board had resigned and they were contacting me to see if I'd be interested in possibly pursuing that. David explained, he said, it's kind of like what happened with Paul, evidently, in Romans 15, when Paul talks about his ambition to preach Christ where Christ had never been named. Up until that time, Paul's ministry had been really wide, doing lots of different things in the the world, debating the gospel and building up churches. But toward the end of his life, God really began to focus his ministry into a specific ambition. Um, David said, that's what it appears that God is doing with me and giving me this narrowed focus on unreached people groups in the world. That's what the Spirit of God does with you is He takes a part of this mission and He narrows your focus on it getting in touch with this spiritual gift is a major way that you begin to walk with the Spirit of God. So if you want to walk with the Spirit of God, you got to get in touch with what the Spirit of God has put inside you for His mission and for the building up of His Kingdom.